Good morning. Well, we're going to have a very interactive um, lesson this morning. <clears throat> I think you've heard enough of me over the last few weeks, and I thought we'd hear some from you. So you'll hear some from me and some from you, and we'll put it all together, and it'll be one uh, cohesive message, we, we hope. Let's turn, first of all, to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. <clears throat> Over the past few weeks, we have been looking at the uh, times of the Gentiles, <clears throat> a period of time that started at uh, the Babylonian captivity and will continue right through to the end of the tribulation period. And the Lord will complete or fulfill all of the things that he needs to with the Gentile nations. Our focus this morning is on the uh, nation of Israel, on the Jews. And God has um, made some remarkable promises to Israel, some remarkable promises that started <clears throat> with um, Abraham. And the promises had to do with uh, not only the people, but the land. And uh, many, many wonderful promises. I wish we had time to look at them all today. But uh, God is faithful, and God will accomplish everything that he promised. And so even though many people, many Bible teachers and maybe Bible students today say, God is through with Israel, he's done, that is not true. God has many uh, wonderful promises in store for his people, and they will come to pass. So, Daniel chapter 9, we'll begin reading in verse 20. Now, while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. So here's the setting. Daniel has uh, come before the Lord to pray. The Lord heard his prayer, sent the man, Gabriel here, is really an archangel, sent an angel to uh, Daniel to discuss with him something that was not known before. We're going to look at that in a minute. And uh, Daniel is about to receive probably one of the greatest prophecies in the entire Bible. And uh, that's the setting of this um, passage. So verse 24, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the command, and I want you to pay special attention to the next few words, to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublesome times. And after 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. 
The end of it shall be with the flood until the end of the war desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So as I say, this is one of the most significant prophecies in all of the Bible. It really holds the key to understanding what's to come, things to come. This prophecy, understanding this prophecy, will help you to understand what is to come. So the first thing we want to look at is the beginning of the prophecy. starts in verse 24, and it says this, Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. Literally, the word means this, seventy sevens are determined. Most of you already know part of the key to this is understanding what the sevens refer to. And they are seven weeks of years. They're not seven weeks of days or seven days or seven months. They're seven weeks of years. Um, So when he says 70 sevens are determined, it literally means uh, 70 times seven years, which is equal to, let's, the math majors, what is that equal to? Seven, 70 times seven? 490, yeah, so 490, okay. And we'll see that this is what it means as we unlock this uh, secret to this prophecy. 490 years are determined for the nation of Israel and for Jerusalem. So what it means is this, God has a comprehensive plan that includes a 490-year period um, of the future. How does he know this? Well, he's God. Okay? God's history, or God, the future to God, is uh, as simple as us looking at history. God knows the end from the beginning. And so this is no big deal for God to tell us what is going to happen, even though it hasn't happened yet. 490 years has to do with God's plan, and I want to emphasize this again, for Israel. This is what he's talking about here. The 490 years contains future plans for Daniel's people. Who are Daniel's people? The Jews. Okay? And for your holy city, Jerusalem. Okay, that's easy. So the prophecy has to do with Israel, not the Gentiles. It has nothing to do with the church. The church is not something that you find in the Old Testament. The church is actually hidden. In fact, the Bible calls it in the New Testament a mystery. And in the Bible, a mystery isn't some kind of a novel that you read and hope that uh, it has a nice uh, twist and turn all the way through it. A mystery is something that God has purposely hidden, and we would not know about it unless God revealed it to us. But God has graciously revealed it to us so that we can now know what that mystery is. And the mystery is of the church, which is a New Testament thing. We didn't find out about it until the New Testament. It was hidden from everybody in the Old Testament. But it is revealed to us in the New. What is on Daniel's mind as he prays? Well, I want you to turn to a um, passage in... Well, just go up a couple of verses, Daniel chapter 9, verse 2. Daniel is already thinking in terms of years here. It says in verse 2, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, 
understood by the books, the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So Daniel is reading the book of Jeremiah, and he comes across a passage in Jeremiah that explains to him why the Jews are in captivity in Babylon. And he says, well, okay, how long is this going to last? How long will we be held captive here in Babylon? And um, as he reads Daniel's, uh, Jeremiah's prophecy, he, he finds out that it will be for a period of 70 years. Now, here's where it becomes interactive, okay? So I have two young men that want to help me out, and we're going to have you look up scriptures, and you're going to have a microphone, and you're going to read for us. So first person to find it, back in, back in when I was two, Gary, 50 years ago, we used to have sword drills, yeah, Sunday school. Okay, put your Bibles up, and you couldn't put your thumb or finger in any part of the Bible, and then they'd give a passage, ready, set, go. And now everybody has iPods and iPads and iWhatevers and they just type in the number and boom, they'd be first. But we used to do that at Sunday school because the incentive was a great big chocolate bar or something like that. I mean, that's, that was uh, the winner took it all. So we're going to have a sword drill today, all right? But there's no chocolate bar involved. First person to find Leviticus 25, 1 through 4. Ready, set, go. Leviticus 25, 1 through 4. And you're going to see from this passage why God chose the number 70 for the captivity. Who's got it? Okay, go ahead. Read, read along. The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd, and of whoa, the flock. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Is this chapter 25? That's, that's what happens when you have electronics. <laughs> chapter 25, Leviticus 25, 1 through 4. Who's got it? Okay, go ahead. Leviticus 25, 1 through 4. And the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you, then the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruit. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall neither sow, neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. Okay. So every seventh year they were to allow the land to be fallow they were to not plow the field the land happened to produce that year they were allowed to to eat from it that wasn't a problem but they didn't want to do that they didn't want to obey the lord and so they plowed and they planted and they harvested every single year for 490 years and they did not allow the land to rest not only so but this is just the land. God also said that slaves, on the seventh year, slaves were to go free. A person became poor. In those days, they didn't go to the bank and get another loan. They went and said, look, I'm going to sell myself into slavery. I will work for you. That'll be the payment for my debt. And at the seventh year, all the slaves were to go free. That was it. End of debt. You're finished. But they didn't do that either. Uh, debts were to be forgiven. The land was to lay fallow. There are a lot of things that were to take place on this seventh year. 
And the seventh year would come and go, and they wouldn't obey God at all. 490 years of this. And they ignored the command of the Lord. And when the year number seven came along, they just lived like any other year. So if you take 490 years and you divide it by seven, what do you get? Seventy. And so God says, you did this for 490 years, and I'm going to punish you for every Sabbath that you have failed to observe. Seventy years of Sabbaths. Okay? And God took the Babylonian kingdom. They went into... Uh, go ahead, Luke, you can put this up. God took them, the Babylonians and captured them, took them into captivity, burned the city, burned the um, temple, brought it all down, and uh, it was destroyed because they would not obey the Lord. They would not keep the Sabbath as he had commanded. So Daniel is now reading about this, and so we have Daniel's 70 weeks of prophecy, but it's interesting. He's actually not talking about the past. He's actually getting a prophecy from the Lord about the future, but this is an interesting little uh, tidbit here. The 490 years of their past history was the reason for Daniel being in captivity in Babylon. Then during that period of time, he's coming before the Lord saying, why? Why are we in captivity still? And the Lord shows him clearly from Jeremiah that it will be for a 70-year period. And so then Daniel comes before the Lord and he confesses his sin and the sins of the people. So the next question I have, what will happen in the 490 years that is to come? So Daniel 9, 24, it says this. To finish the transgressions, this is what God is going to do in this second 490-year period. He is going to finish the transgression to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So there are six issues that God needs to deal with with his people Israel, and all of them fit in this 490-year time schedule. So this is the, uh, the list, and then next to each of these, I have verses. So again, sword drill, if you're smart, you'll pick like the third or fourth one, okay? So ready, set, go. Whoever gets the first one, Zechariah 12.10. Go ahead, Lita. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they have pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Okay. This is a prophecy concerning Israel. And God is going to arrange history in such a way that he puts pressure on Israel to repent of her sins and finally come to her senses and see that Jesus Christ is her Messiah. And one day, at the very end of all of this, at the end of the tribulation period, she will look on him, Jesus, whom she has pierced, and she will mourn for him. She will finally come to her senses and finally acknowledge that uh, she is a sinner, that, that there are sinners in need of a Savior and that he is the Savior. He will finish the transgression. Number two, make an end of sins. Jeremiah 31, 33 through 34. Who's got it? Right here. Steffi has it. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts, 
and write it in their hearts, and will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Okay, another promise concerning Israel. God will bring it to pass that they will, uh, in those days, they will come to him, and God will write his law on their hearts. It won't be just head knowledge anymore. They will be actively living uh, for him. And it says, wonderful promise here. The Lord says, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Wonderful promise uh, to Israel here. Number three, make reconciliation for iniquity. The, the basis of this, whoever's got it, put your hand up. Uh, the basis for this is uh, the cross of Christ, but reconciliation with Israel is still future. God has a plan to restore Israel to himself. Go ahead, Romans eleven twenty five through 27. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Wonderful. He says, I will take away their sins. Gone. It will be taken away entirely. And the basis, again, is the cross. Israel is uh, suffering from what is spiritual blindness right now. God promised that's what would happen to her right now because she rejected the Messiah. And so there is a spiritual blindness, a stupor that has come upon the nation at this point. Her blindness has has resulted ultimately in our sight that we might see who the Savior is, that we might be saved and create a jealousy, if you will, on her part that might turn her to the Lord. God has a marvelous way of putting all the pieces together that ultimately he will redirect his attention on Israel and save her uh, for himself. Number four, bring in everlasting righteousness. By the way, uh, Rose has it. By the way, uh, has this happened? Are we in a situation right now where there is everlasting righteousness? Tom, are you uh, just handing out uh, goodwill cards to people at this point? (laughs) Okay, go ahead, Rose. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward and even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice to go to a court of law and have a just judge every time, justice served in every case? Wouldn't it be wonderful if our, all of our laws were that way? Well, when he reigns, it will be that way. He is not reigning on earth at this point. Another interesting thing about this verse, I don't know if you notice this, we often quote from this verse at Christmas time, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And oftentimes we stop there. And it's appropriate to stop there because that's what happened at his first coming. The rest of it has to do with his second coming uh, to set up his millennial kingdom on earth. Number five, seal up vision and prophecy. Uh, Revelation 21, five through six. Who has that? Go ahead. 
Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Okay. So we come all the way to the end of the book of Revelation. And right now, as we sit here, we have all kinds of unfinished prophecies. There are prophecies with loose ends still, still to be uh, tied together. And God will not let a single prophecy, not one prophecy, fail. Every one of the prophecies, every one of the things that He has promised will come to pass. And here in the book of Revelation, we come to the, fi- the, the great finale, and He says, it is done. And I like your emphasis on that. It's finished. He's brought it all together, and there is a completion of his work. Number six, anoint the most holy. This, by the way, could mean the most holy one, speaking of Jesus, or it could mean the, the temple. Uh, and we'll explain that in a minute. Who has this? Go ahead, Sam. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness." You remember just a few weeks ago, we talked about the Lord as he spoke to the religious leaders of his day, and they were all trying to trap him, trying to trick him, trying to do something to bring him down. When he comes back again, and he comes into his holy temple, it says here a wonderful promise. I love this promise. It says that he will purify the sons of of Levi, that they might offer an offering in righteousness. It's a wonderful promise. The Levites were the ones responsible for the temple and for the worship, if you will, in Israel. And during his day, they were corrupt. They were uh, unfaithful, unrighteous. But when he comes back, he will purify them, that they might offer righteous sacrifices, righteous offerings to the Lord. And uh, that's yet to come. Well, there is much blessing in store for Israel, much blessing, and uh, it is a wonderful uh, study in and of itself. But Daniel uh, learns from, the, from Gabriel that it's going to be 490 years before that happens. So we want to look at what is the starting point of this prophecy, and when will it be complete? And so the... Um, uh, for, how are the 490 future years divided? So Daniel chapter 9, verse 25 says this, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. So the, the key issue here is this. The command to restore and build Jerusalem that's the starting point of this uh, decree or of the, of the um, prophecy. Well, we run into a little bit of trouble as soon as we say that it's a decree because there are actually more than one decree. There are four of them. 
And so if you can uh, put up the next slide here. I just want to point out real quickly, there's one in Ezra. It was uh, commanded by Cyrus the king. The second one was Darius. Darius's uh, decree actually was just going back to the first decree. The first decree was that the people were allowed to go back to um, the land. And I'm going to read this to you. Ezra chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. It says, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the, the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me. And he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, Who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord, God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any places where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the freewill offerings for the house of God. So I emphasized house of God, house of God, house of God. Why did they go back to Jerusalem at this time? What were they going to build? The temple, the house of God. That's it. That's what the command gave them. And so they went back to build the house of God. But the people of the land didn't like the Jews being there. And they troubled them. And they stopped the work. And they sent letters and said, hey, what are they doing here? And once the king heard this, he, they, they said they were building the walls. They were establishing a city. They were fortifying their defenses and all this kind of stuff. And uh, once the king heard this, he put an immediate end to it. So the second command is really a reissuing of the first command, okay? Now, I have uh, on the chart here plus 483 solar years. We measure years by the uh, way the sun moves around, I mean, the earth moves around the sun. And once it's made a full loop, that's one year. But in Daniel's day, that's not how they measured the years. They measured the years by 30 days, and 12 times 30 days is 360 days per year. And so the first uh, decree was Cyrus in 539 B.C. If you add either the 483 or the 476 years that's involved there, you come up with either 56 or 63 B.C., not a particularly interesting uh, date. Darius's uh, decree brings us a little closer to 37 B.C. or 44 B.C. Again, not particularly interesting dates that we know of. So then the next decree was the seventh year of Artaxerxes, 458 B.C. And if you use the calculation of 490 years, but it's not 490 because it, Daniel's prophecy said there would be seven weeks of years and 62 weeks of years. That's 69 weeks. That's how we come up with 483 years. Okay? Um, that brings us to either 26 AD or 19 AD. The 20, then the next prophecy is from Nehemiah, um, chapter 1. And if you add the years to this prophecy, you come up to either 40 or 33 AD. So we're going to tell you why we think it's actually the last prophecy. I could go over all of these verses. You could write them down, check them out at home. And uh, what I'm going to actually recommend to you is we went through this once before. And uh, Rick spent three messages. It's almost three full hours. They're loaded up on our website. And so this is just an advertisement for our website here. 
I don't know if you know about uh, calvarybiblechapel.net, but if you don't, write it down, calvarybiblechapel.net. That's us. And on, that's us online. And on our website, um, did I say that correctly? Calvarybiblechapel.net? Okay, good. Um, on our website, we have messages. You can actually look at what we're doing. You can find out if you forgot next week that we have a stranger study. You can go on, online and go, oh, yeah, we're still having a stranger study. There it is. Um, there are messages online. You can click on the messages you want to hear. And Rick has three messages, about three hours worth, just dealing with this one subject. Okay, So it's well worth listening to, and I recommend it to you. We're not going to spend three hours in the next five minutes doing it. So uh, ultimately, we believe that the last of these decrees is the decree that is the correct one. Because this last decree was for rebuilding not just the temple, but rebuilding the walls of the city and to establish a city once again uh, where people would live and, and have businesses and so on. Despite the opposition, they were able to complete the wall in a short period of time. So, if the last decree is the right decree, and we think it is, then we know that that decree came in the year... Well, Nissan is, a, is the name of a month, not the name of a car. Nissan won 444 because it's stated that way in Nehemiah 2. It says, And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sat in his presence before. And that day is the day that King Artaxerxes issued a decree for Daniel to go back and, and for the people to go back and to rebuild the city as well. Well, now comes the fun part. Daniel chapter 9, verse 25 again. Therefore, and under, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. So the first thing we want to look at about this verse is that there are two times listed here. Seven weeks. So if it's seven times seven years, how many years is that? 49, and if it's, the next part of it says 62 weeks, 62 weeks times 7 is a whole bunch, it's 434, um, okay, there we go, it's up there, and you add the two together, you get 69 weeks, it's really fascinating, and again, go and listen to the, the, the uh, tapes, or the, the online, it's very fascinating that you'll see that not only was the year of the issuing of the decree, Nissan um, 1, 444, whatever. But if you calculate the days and the, and the years, let's just take the years first of all. If you calculate the years, you come to the year that Jesus Christ was on earth, 33 AD. It happens if you calculate the days between the two prophecies right to the day, it is the time when Jesus entered into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And that prophecy says, again, that there would be, from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, Jesus presented himself as the king. 
He was a prince, if you will, up to that point. He presented himself as the king, and he was rejected. He was rejected by the people. And at that moment in time, God essentially had a stopwatch in his hand. And the, the time was ticking away, ticking away, day after day after day after day. We get to that day when Jesus enters into Jerusalem, and they reject him as king. He stops the stopwatch. Okay? How many, how many years did Daniel say, or did, did Gabriel say would um, be for Israel and for the city of Jerusalem? How many years? Seventy times seven. Okay, so 490 years. We have 69 weeks of years that have already taken place. God stopped the stopwatch. And Israel is put on hold and still is on hold right now. There's one week left to fulfill. And God will see to it that that week is completed because he's got a lot to do with his people Israel still. So there's one week left. But in between, it says in the um, passage, that in the next verse, that Messiah will be cut off. When did that happen? He was cut off. He was put to death at the cross that same week. And then he was buried and he rose again the third day. So this period in between where it says Israel rejects from Messiah and he is cut off, how long is it? Anybody know? I don't know. If we knew the answer to that question, we would be prepared for the rapture. And I hope you are prepared for the rapture because he's coming soon. We don't know when exactly. I know some have made stabs at it, but we don't know the date. So after the rapture, there is one week left. God takes the church out of the picture. If you read the book of Revelation... And the first few chapters of the book of Revelation, it's all about who? Who is it about, the first few chapters? The church, the church, the church. The church, there's, the Lord is speaking to different churches all through the, book of, the beginning of the book of Revelation. And then it stops. He no longer speaks to the church. And all of a sudden, the focus is entirely on Israel. So there's a rapture that takes place. The church is out of here. And then the Lord is now dealing with his people again, and there's one week of years left, seven years left of his dealings with Israel to bring all of these things to pass that he has promised. So what is the date of this one week? I have today. With a question mark, okay? I'm not predicting it's today, but it could be. We don't know, and it could be today. And when will the final end of it be? Well, seven years from today, or whatever day the Lord comes uh, to take us home to be with him. That's what God promised. Okay, we're going to move on to um, the next chart. Seventy weeks determined, or 490 years. Daniel talks about seven and sixty-two. And so we have a total of 69 years. The first part is to do with the rebuilding of the temple, rebuilding of the city, which they accomplished uh, back then. Then there's a 62-week period, and then we finally have this one week that's left at the end, um, the end of it. Now, I've put in here, I don't know how well you can read this or how well you can see it, but let me just walk you through this. At one 
173,880 days, that's the end of the 69 weeks, Jesus enters into Jerusalem and he offers himself as the king, essentially, and he's rejected. The next day, what does he do? If you remember, we just studied about this. What does he do when he comes in the next day? He cleanses the temple. It's his. He cleanses the temple. The next day, he leaves, every night he leaves Jerusalem and he goes out to the Mount of Olives. He comes back in. The next day as he comes back in, he sees a, a fig tree and the fig tree is not bearing fruit. And you remember that story of how he curses the fig tree and he says, you'll never bear fruit again? And the next day, it was, the disciples were shocked that it was already dried up, withered. Essentially, the fig tree is a representation of what nation? Israel, okay? And he is basically pronouncing, if you will, judgment on his people because they rejected him as their Messiah. Then he tells a story next. And the story is about a landowner. Remember this? And the landowner uh, wanted fruit. And he never received fruit. And every time he sent his servants, uh, they were killed or beaten up or persecuted. And it was the story of how God had sent prophets to the nation of Israel wanting repentance. And over and over again, they stoned the prophets. They killed them. Uh, Isaiah, they saw it in two and so on. And so they said, well, I know what God said, I know what I'll do. I'll send my son. Surely they'll respect him. And they said, oh, here's the heir. Let's kill him. And the land will be ours. Everything will be ours. And that's not true at all. God takes it away. In fact, he asks them, what will the landowner do? And they say, he will destroy those people. They were pronouncing the curse on themselves. And that's exactly what the Lord was going to do. He was going to take away the position of privilege and, uh, that, that Israel had before God. And he was going to take it and turn it over to others. And it, that's exactly what happened. So taking the place of favor away from Israel and giving it essentially to the Gentiles. Yes, the gospel goes out to the Jew first and also to the Greek, but it has been primarily Gentiles who have trusted the Lord during this period of time. We're grateful for others who are Jews who have trusted the Lord, but they're far and few between. Then it sa he says that their house would be left desolate. And that's essentially true with the Jewish people today that they do not have a spiritual relationship with the Lord as they once did. Very interesting, in John's Gospel, right after all of this happened, and after, God, after the Lord Jesus Christ pronounced judgment on Israel, the very next day he comes into uh, Jerusalem, and the first thing that he meets is a group of people who say, uh, the Greeks want to hear from you. The Gentiles want to hear from you. The Jews rejected you. The Greeks want to hear from you. And it says, we would um, see Jesus. We wish to see Jesus. And that, so the transition has already begun. Then Thursday, he is arrested. The trial, the Messiah is cut off Friday. He's in the grave on Saturday. And gloriously, he rises from the dead on Sunday and, uh, and uh, lives again. So that is the, those are the events that uh, took place. The Jews would not have him. And so they're cut off as far as their position and favor with God is concerned. And the gospel is now going out to the Gentiles. But I want to say this, okay, because many people preach differently than this. The Jews are not cut off forever, okay? I want you to hear that clearly. 
There are a lot of preachers, a lot of teachers, a lot of people today that say God is through with the Jewish uh, nation. And that all of the blessings and all of the promises that God made to the Jews have been inherited by the church. That is false. That is not true. We are completely distinct from the Jewish nation. The promises of land, the promises of a future and a glorious future at that, those are all attributed uh, to uh, Israel and they will come to pass. God is faithful and he will see to it that it all comes to pass just as he promised. So, there is coming a prince. Let's take a look at the uh, next slide if we can. Okay, the 70 weeks of Daniel in... uh, in a nutshell, we've looked at this already. Uh, the first section of it divided in seven weeks and 62 weeks, one week uh, or seven years left. Okay? So this is important to see. That little movement of the seven years is on purpose. God stopped the clock. He's not going to start it again until the church age is completed. When the church age is completed which is at the rapture, then the clock starts again for Israel. It is during that time that God will focus his efforts on winning Israel back to himself and on causing them to see their sin and to see that he is their Messiah. Okay, um, so we have the issuing of the decree. We have the fulfillment of the end of the uh, 69 weeks. 70 A.D. is the first part of the fulfillment of, um, let's take a look at uh, Daniel chapter 9 again. I want to just point this out to you. Daniel chapter 9. Did I say 9? Okay, so Daniel chapter 9, and we're looking at verse um, 26, yeah. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. What a wonderful little phrase that is. It's a clear indication that the reason Jesus Christ died on the cross was not to do with any sins that he had committed. He was perfect, spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But it says that he was really uh, dying for others, that's for us. Uh, for whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, it makes no difference. He died for all. Um, not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. That actually happened in 70 AD. The Roman general Titus went into the city. He destroyed the city. He destroyed the temple. Every stone was taken one off. Uh, one after the other was taken off. There was not one stone left upon the other. And uh, he fulfilled that part of this prophecy. It says that um, he come to destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the war, end of the war desolations are determined. Then there's another break. So this break is the 70th, uh, the 70th week 
um, is after the church age. But in uh, Daniel chapter 9, verse 20, between 26 and 27, there's a, there's a break. It says, Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. And so the Antichrist will come and he will create a peace treaty with Israel for a period of seven years. And at the end of that, in the middle of that seven-year period, he will come into the temple, he will set up an idol of himself in the temple and ex- expect everyone to worship him as God. And he will set himself up as God and be worshipped as God during this time. This is the abomination of desolation that Daniel speaks about here. So there's one week left, and it could start today. The final week is divided into two periods of 1,260 days. By the way, if you take, again, your math majors here, three and a half years, and you're considering that the three and a half years is also equal to 1,260 days, how many days per month is that? Hmm? 30-day months, yeah. That's one of the ways that we get the 30-day months per year. And so three and a half years is equal to 1,260 days. At the middle of the tribulation period, uh, the abomination of desolation is uh, seen in the temple, and that's when people are told to flee. So then we come to, we come to the end of this message here. But next two weeks... We're going to look at this time frame here, the tribulation time frame, and we're going to take a look at how... We have to get back to Luke, right? Okay. So we're going to see how Luke fits into this time frame. We're also going to see how Luke very nicely dovetails with Revelation and the prophecies that are uh, there in Revelation. Let me just end this way today. God has promised some wonderful things for Israel. They will come. He's not finished with Israel. She will go through a time of terrible trouble. It's called Jacob's trouble. Like the world has never seen before. But in the end, one of the many promises that God has for her is found in Romans chapter 11. And beginning with verse 25. It was already read for us once this morning, but let me read it again. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. I love that. What God has promised, what God has said will take place, he will not pull back. They will come to pass fully and completely. There is a future and a hope for the nation of Israel as God's people. Let's give them thanks. Lord, we come before you and we thank you so much that you have revealed these things to us through your word. 
We thank you, Lord, for the precious promises and that not one of them has failed. We think of the details that you have given and, and the specific way that you have uh, fulfilled uh, portions of these, uh, this prophecy already with such amazing um, uh, accuracy, Lord. And, and we just look forward to the complete and full fulfillment of uh, your word and your promises to your people, Israel. Lord, we cry out to you, even this day, that you would bring peace to Israel. We cry out to you, Lord, that you would bring many uh, Jewish people to, to the saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, even this day, that they might also be part of the church. We look forward, Lord, to your soon return, and we say, with all the saints, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We look forward to that shout, Lord, and we pray that we might live in light of that. In your name we pray, amen.